Support for this podcast and the following message come from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up to the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Welcome back to Start to Sale, the show that addresses the challenges that business owners face, like, my life is falling apart. Is now a good time to start a business? <laughs> good question. Today we have on Witchsy founders Kate Dwyer and Penelope Gazin to answer it. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Witchsy is a highly curated online marketplace that sells unique products from over 500 artists, kind of an Etsy, but totally unbridled. I first heard about the company when a friend emailed an article called These Women Entrepreneurs Created a Fake Male Co-Founder to Dodge Startup Sexism. That caught my attention. But after going into a deep dive of what they sold, you know, like um, beach towels with butts all over them, that might be my favorite product, to be honest. What really got me was the other information I found. Like they had built a business with $10,000 of personal savings that in the first year became cash flow positive with hundreds and thousands in revenue. Totally amazing. So this conversation with Kate and Penelope really focuses in on moments that triggered their decision to be entrepreneurs, what kind of business they wanted to create, and how they hoped to build it. Though I love a ton about this interview, one thing that really stuck out to me was that Kate and Penelope started it not only because they saw an opportunity, but also because both of them were in the midst of a personal crisis. They were unhappy, and to take control of their own futures, they became entrepreneurs. That might not seem like the most obvious route to take, but this sort of thing happens a lot. You have these moments where you are in the ashes, and then suddenly yeah. you think to yourself, hmm, I don't want to do this anymore. And then you just, we were just like, well, maybe we'll just start a business. <laughs> and as Kate said... You can have a business or you can have a brand that has an identity and a personality. And that personality has to start with the two people. So, Natasha, how do you relate? How was launching Cool House an extension of where you were at at that time? Yeah, well, Cool House, it's, it's such a, a crazy mix of things because it's architecture and ice cream. I mean, pretty wild. Definitely, you know, I'm. I think I'm the only one in the ice cream architecture space. Um, so, first of all, I think it's it's cool, and I've always loved the idea of taking one skill set and applying it to something totally different. And I think that's so much of where like really exciting entrepreneurship comes from is melding of things that you didn't think you know belong. And I also know on a personal level, I was always looking at architecture, thinking, you know, I'm going to nail this, and then I'm going to just go way outside the box with it. So, you know, I wanted to get the training and then I think I wanted to break it apart, but I didn't know what that would look like. And so I just sort of kept that in my back pocket for a while and tried a lot of different, you know, concepts. But ultimately, I think Cool House represents for me that, you know, I wanted to to think bigger than like the traditions of the discipline. Um, and I, I really do, at the end of the day, think of Cool House almost like a canvas for ideas and creativity and innovation. And at the end of the day, my, you know, food and architecture interests end up taking the format of ice cream. But I do think about what we're doing as being so much more about philosophy and lifestyle and, and really, um, you know, kind of much more global 
ways of thinking. So I think that's that that's really in a, in a large way. Cool House represents a lot about kind of my creative, you know, my creative instincts. Um, and it's a really cool thing to, when you can see that that kind of personal, you know, interest and and maybe really zany way of going about things come to life in a business. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think that one of the best parts about building your own business is that it's whatever you want to make it. Yeah. If you want to make an architecturally inspired ice cream sandwich, do it. You know, and that's something <laughs> that I love about this conversation with Penelope and Kate. They are building a company that is reflective of all the things they want. Um, and they are being completely uncompromising about it. And I, it's just such a fun interview, and I can't wait to get into it. We are Witchsy, Kate Dwyer, me, and Penelope Gazin. And uh, we have basically created a Etsy and Marketplace competitor uh, that ultimately has been functioning almost like a digital gallery. And so we've been bringing in artists and putting them on the platform and giving them a place to showcase their work in a uncensored, unbridled fashion. So cool. How did you come up with this idea? And if you can also answer, like, how do you divvy up the work? Is one more operations, one more visionary? Or what's your, you know, what's your, um, how how do you guys specialize? Um, Well, Kate and I both wanted to die. (laughs) Okay. Very true. (laughs) <laughs> no, totally not. We were just both kind of actually uh, pretty depressed at the time. Penelope was alone in New York and I was having a bit of a breakdown, hating my job and in the midst of a terrible breakup. So we uh, came together in our misery. That happened to me, too. I was in a terrible breakup, completely depressed, and then I just started baking all the time. And I was like, maybe this should be my my life and it saved me. I I think that's what happens. I feel you have these moments where you are in the ashes and then suddenly you think to yourself, "Mm, I don't want to do this anymore. And then you just suddenly start yeah, baking and we were just like, well, maybe we'll just start a business. No, (laughs) it's awesome. And I think it's it, you know, it really gives hope because I think you need in a way something to really go astray to think, okay, there's a big change that has to be made. And some of the best ideas are born from that. Mine wasn't so much emotional, but the recession for me, like totally, you know, changed my path of work from architecture to what I'm doing now. So things can, yeah, things can go in the right direction from something rough. And I think a lot of the best stories about entrepreneurship are the ones where they come out of this as opposed, you know, there are a lot of really great companies out there where a very seasoned business person was trying to find a place in the market or bought another business or and they built something good. But the greatest stories are the ones I think that come out of an authentic moment in people's lives where emotions are involved. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, I think that you can have a business or you can have a brand that has an identity and a personality. And that personality has to start with the two people. So I think that's a big part of why our business, in addition to the successes that we've been having, has been flourishing because our business has been so, is so deeply ingrained in who Penelope and I are. We're a little rude, a bit sassy. Um, We have attitude and we don't really want to be told what to do. And that 
comes across in everything that we do for our business. Yeah, I can see from the second you guys walked into the studio, you have strong personal brand. And I mean that <laughs> in the best way, because I agree with you. That's going to carry into what you're building. And people more than ever today are looking for things beyond the transaction. They want to know the who, the why, what the people behind it look like, what they do on the weekend. So I think that is going to be a really big part always of your guys' secret sauce, which is, which is awesome. Um, kind of leads me, well... In, indirectly maybe into a question I have, but as far as, you know, the identity of, of what's going on, on on the site, what do you think is some of the strongest work that's on there? What are your personal favorites? Can Mine. you speak to that? <laughs> your your best, work? I'm you're the great best at the one word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the best artist on the site. So Penelope, you're selling your own work on your own site? Yes. Okay. <laughs> do you Got promote it. it the most heavily on the site? Yes. Totally fair. I'm also that's the totally most fair. humble <laughs> artist, I would say. <laughs> We have a bunch of great artists. Yeah, we really do. Um, it's true. Penelope is probably our best artist on the site. I mean, Not, without her. I mean, artist <laughs> best is subjective, but well, um, best I make the most money. So, yes, best. I mean, and also best for me personally, subjectively, I guess. Um, but ultimately, um, yeah, it's been great having her as a seller on the site as well, just because it's allowed us to keep in mind what everyone actually would want and need from a site. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's been nice. Um, artists that we like on the site, oh my God, there's so many. Now we have over 500 artists, oh, wow. which is pretty exciting. I mean, still pretty small scale in comparison to the, you know, Goliaths of marketplaces, but... It's more the quality than the quantity. Exactly. But I think it's really interesting, um, that transparency with, you know, people on uh, the one side of the table as far as who's making the decision about which C and what you're doing directly resonating with the target or with the artists or whoever that may be, I think is so key. And that's that's authenticity, like in a nutshell. Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't care about the customers. <laughs> we care about the artists. Yeah. True. Tell us how you structure the pay and how you choose those artists on the site that you do. So the way that that's set up is that actually when we first got started, Penelope and I decided that we would split the work. So she would head up the creative side and be able to have final say on decisions. I would be able to have input. I would be able to state my case or anything like that. But she will ultimately always have final say. And then when it comes to me, I will always have final say about like direction of where the business is going and making sure that that's kind of moving down the right path. Um, it's really helped us because it's allowed just a bit of a ability for both of us to step back and not feel like we have to both have our name on mm -hmm. things. Um, so smart. And I is, just want to interject. It takes many founders years to come to that conclusion. So my, well done. My <laughs> co-founder and I probably four years and a lot of emotional hand-wringing about who would do what because we just didn't want to let go of anything. And then as soon as we let go, we're like, oh, this we should have done this <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> you know, it was really, it's really great to start in that place. Yeah. So um, because we had that, you know, one of the things that we really figured out early on was that, you know, we should be allotting as much as we can to the artist in terms of revenue. And so when we first got started as an incentive, we were offering about 90% of the entire revenue that they were taking. Wow. So we were basically only covering the cost of processing and just I was going to ask, is that, is, so you came up with that 90% number originally, I know that it's now 80%. Yeah. Because you knew what you needed to operate yourself. 
So you knew that that 10% would cover right. the oper- operationally what you needed it, it to It would cover. cover the operation and prove to people that it was a idea that would actually be possible and a site that could work. That's really cool. And then after that, we 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 then moved to the 80%, which was always the plan. It was just that 90 was for those people who really believed in us early on. But the people who got in early still have the same. 90. Wow, you honored that. Wow. Oh, yeah. Good on absolutely. you guys. You guys are angels. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, I mean, this just goes, you know, I think one of the reasons that we were really interested in interviewing you is because... We need entrepreneurs like you who are blazing away for other people. And I think that that's what gets lost in a lot of the business journalism that we read. (laughs) But, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me when I was reading articles about you guys was, you know, the sexy story was actually just tell us quickly the Keith Mann story so we can kind of get through that. And then I want to talk a little bit about what really attracted us to your business? Um, Well, we created Keith just because we were having trouble communicating with developers. And there was one particular incident where uh, someone we were communicating with via email got very aggressive and sort of strange with us. And I made the joke to Kate. I was like, oh, someone's got mommy issues. (laughs) And, And then we, I think Kate had the idea to create a third founder founder or an employee just to create a buffer for when things started to become tense and then we decided it should be a man just to as an experiment I think not really a gender experiment but more of just well we might as well make him a middle-aged man more of a traditional business person whereas because we're not we're non-traditional and we just we went with Keith because that's the closest name to Kate and then man (laughs) as a just to make ourselves I love that you had a Mr. Man yeah. So good. So good. Keith Mann Jr., full name. Yeah. So you created this male co-founder because you guys had some barriers when you were talking to developers and designers. And that's a story that if I Google Witchsy, that's what I get. But buried in those stories is this other fact that I was like, what? Which was you made over $200,000 in revenue in your first year and you did it profitably. Like, what? Uh, you are in the minority of the minority of the minority of startups. You know, most startups don't make revenue in the first year or make very little revenue in the first year or make no net profits in the first year. So I thought that was just really incredible. And one of the questions I was thinking about was like, where where are you now? Because that was that happened last year, right? In mm-hmm. 2017. And how do you think your backgrounds, I mean, this is building on what we've been talking about in art and as punk rockers and having this totally different creative background contribute to the success of what you're doing. I mean, uh, everything you've said so far tells me that you are being informed by your own experiences. And I want to hear, like, why are those experiences making you successful? Are we successful? No. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, what what Aaron's trying to say is no, yeah. there's a personal definition. Yeah. But what you guys have achieved is an extremely difficult milestone. So that's something regard like objectively that we and have to And you are just, non-traditional yeah. entrepreneurs as are yeah. Natasha. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's something that's very important. And when you look at the barriers that we are up against, I yeah. mean, like Mr. Man is just a piece of it. Right. It's really amazing. Well, I think that comes mostly from my previous experience working in startups. And I found that more often than not, it was for the quick 
buck. Everything Mm -hmm. was to build it up to show a business plan that would, you know, garner a $3 million funding round. And then, you know, suddenly you're expanding and growing at this rate that isn't actually reasonable for what you're delivering. And then you crash and burn. I feel like that's a story you keep hearing over and over and over again. And for us, um, when we got started, our biggest thing was how can we throw away our ego and keep costs as low as possible? We work from home. We don't have brand new computers. We don't buy everything like brand new for ourselves. So Do you have like a cereal station with like lots of different yogurts and, you know, um, cold <laughs> yeah, brew coffee. Yeah, we have a private chef, but <laughs> that's what he's I, that's like what I only yeah. part-time. <laughs> yeah. um, we have masseuse come on Fridays. <laughs> yeah. And we used to have it three days, but yeah. now it's only one day. Yeah, you guys are really saving the dollars. Um, but ultimately, yeah. I think a lot of that does stem from um, the ego entrepreneur. And I think that's something that we just as ourselves avoid like the plague because it's so lame. Um, And so, and we're in it for the long game. I mean, ultimately we wanted to build something that if we just decided to not even work on it anymore, it could still pretty much run itself and sustain itself. I think the long game is really the key with so many brands that will really succeed because they're not trend driven. They're not based on, this is something people are really into for, you know, the next two and three years and then that goes away. There are things that people will always love and always gravitate towards. So I I really admire that and I actually think it's ultimately the smarter way to do things. Um, One thing I just want to follow up on that's interesting, I think, is the ego point because I feel like it's a kind of complicated thing to unpack. Right. I think there's like being blinded by an ego where, you know, it's you can't see outside of oneself as far as that can be taking away from making the business succeed or it can make you make insane, irrational decisions or whatever that may be for someone. But there's a certain amount of ego that has to be there to say the world needs this or I believe we can do something great. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, I mean, ultimately, my thoughts are similar with art or music or anything that we do um if i write a song it's because i know i'm a great songwriter and i feel confident in my abilities the minute i start saying this is going to change the world (laughs) or like change someone's life um maybe it does it can but the assumption that it's doing that is insane to me (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's kind of where all of it comes from Mm -hmm. like it's great i love the fact that which C is giving people opportunities to, you know, generate revenue from work that they're doing, get out there and be seen by people that might not have seen it before. But ultimately, um, if I think that everyone on the site is having their lives changed by Witch C, I think that's incredibly delusional. And I think that's what I mean by more of the ego kind of based mm-hmm. entrepreneur of like and you more see simple that in tech ego. too a lot where it's like, we're here to save the world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With our app. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up to the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one up Mother Nature for a pure, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smart water. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste. Penelope and Kate, give me a little background on what you were doing before Witchsy. So I was working as the director of digital marketing for a fitness company. 
And prior to that, I was working at a startup. And then prior to that, I was also working for another um, music festival that was kind of in a startup phase. So I became very familiar with the building process. I realized that was something that I really enjoyed and loved. And uh, I was, to be honest, kind of just waiting for my idea to come uh, because I was helping these people and I, I getting in the thick of it. But um, yeah, so when I was talking with Penelope and we came up with Witch See It, we decided to kind of move on that. I was busy being a famous, glamorous artist. No, um, I, I was building my brand as an artist. I worked in animation for a little bit and I still do and I still do freelance stuff. But I started to move more into painting and having gallery shows. And then I was making a lot of income just selling my own prints through Etsy and selling T-shirts and pins and at what I called artist paraphernalia, which was like little affordable pieces of my artwork, whereas because my paintings are not that affordable. And so but it was very accessible to a wide market as a, whereas most artists their what they sell and make isn't as accessible. Penelope, I'm curious, what was happening in New York? And, you know, you mentioned you're miserable. And what was happening in your art life that really drove you to also want to start this thing? My career actually was the best it had been ever, and I was really flourishing in that, in in a sort of superficial sense, in that I had done a ton of interviews that year, I had gotten a ton of press, I was in all these magazines, I was getting shows easily, but it didn't feel satisfying. I'd been selling on Etsy since I was 18, and I paid for animation school with Etsy, and it was always my backup income so that I always had a ton of creative freedom. I worked in animation for a little bit, but I got to pick and choose my jobs just because I always had Etsy as a back, as a backup income source. And so my whole artistic career has been, I've had that freedom because I had the financial, the finances from, that I made from Etsy. But Etsy was always kind of giving me a hard time. I was one of their, I, I'm one of their top artist sellers but they never acknowledged me. They'd never... Are you still on Etsy or only on Witchsy? I actually still sell on Etsy, which is funny because I thought I would be kicked off. And I actually promote Witchsy on my Etsy store. And I, I always say, go to witchsy.com. Um, the prices are cheaper. And they've left me alone. Well, the same reason maybe they didn't really acknowledge you is the same reason why you've gotten away with that. I mean, except for that the reason why I really wanted to move away from Etsy is because they would always be shutting me down. And so they would do it without warning. And then I just wouldn't have an income for that week. And I'd be kind of, I mean, I'd be fine, but it it would be always kind of alarming. And they, the way that they do it is that they don't give you a warning and then they don't tell you what the issue is. They make you figure it out. So I'd, I'd go through and I'd put, I'd take out all the swear words. I'd put black boxes all over any drawn nipples. And so there was there was one week where they shut my shop down and I went through and I I was like, I censored everything. I don't know what the issue is. And then they, they were like, sorry, you still didn't get the, the issue item, the listing that was the problem. And and I was I just said, will you just tell me? And it takes them like three days to respond. So it was very infuriating. But then the, the problem was that I had a listing up that was a figure drawing, probably the least pornographic thing I've ever made in my whole life, <laughs> just a straight figure drawing from a figure drawing class. And the woman's on her side, and she's on her back, but she's kind of twisted, and you can kind of see 
a little bit of pubic hair. And this was a charcoal drawing. And so it was just a couple brush strokes of charcoal, two little brush strokes showing that she had pubic hair. And that's the reason why I lost a lot of money this so week. So you gave the, her a Brazilian? I, I actually responded to them. I said, okay, great. I'll just make sure I only draw women in burkas from now on. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was always giving them. So this answers. this was the urgency. Okay, something's broken. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Talking about ego, something that I think is amazing is that you guys had the confidence that things like silver butt club medallions and paintings of burning houses with boobs would sell. So that those are my items. Oh, they are. Well, yeah. great. I really uh, need that medallion. So that is ballsy stuff. And you know. Hearing you talk about your experience on Etsy, obviously you knew there was a marketplace. I'm just curious, how do artists find you? Um, how do consumers find it? Do you have any information on the consumers who are buying your stuff? Um, well, it was a little bit easier because I had a little bit of a built-in demographic. And so we actually used our one of my old Instagram handles that already had some followers on it. And we just kind of shifted it, but it's grown so much since then. But uh, we did have a little bit of a base uh, built in audience to start with. But a lot of it has been through word of mouth. People people tell us, oh, our friend told us about Witch Sea and said we should apply and check it out. And it's a lot of word of mouth, I think. Yeah. And also um, we find artists on Instagram. Um, we make an effort to just kind of be active on that platform in general. So it allows us to build a little bit more of a connection with people or people see us commenting something a little snippy. <laughs> so you do outreach, though? Um, yeah, just for some artists if we really like somebody. Um, and then the rest apply and just come to us. And then we tell them yes or no. Um, we only take about 20% of the applicants. Right. Typically. In terms of our audience though, we skew a majority female, um mostly teen to young 20 something women and then which is like the market everybody's trying Gen to Z, get, good old yo. Gen Z. Oh, um really yeah, I know. I can't believe we haven't gotten funding yet. And what <laughs> No, <laughs> that's been trying to get. Yeah, I was going to say how I think you probably could at this point pretty yeah. easily. Talk about the 20% acceptance rate. What's What are the guidelines for that? Why do you think it only ends up being 20% of who applies? Um, well, it has to be something that Penelope likes. And if I really like it, I'll push for it. But ultimately, her and I are usually on the same page taste-wise. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, there's a subjective element. Yeah. Oh, very, yeah. yeah. I, I go through and, and sometimes... There's I see artists and I think, oh, they could be on the site. They could be they would probably do well and sell well. But if I feel like they're not bringing anything new or different or they're too similar to other artists, I'll, I'll kind of say not right now. Now is not the best time because artists also have to have a certain amount of items. They, the, their items have to be photographed well. And, and then sometimes we randomly will take occasionally Kate will text me and be like, uh that was an interesting choice. I wouldn't have expected you to accept this artist. <laughs> and I, I randomly do like to, if something I think is really different or strange or would be add a weird element to the site, I'll accept them. Yeah, it ultimately stems from the need for the person to have a very clear Unique. vision mm. and, and perspective. Because I think the thing is, is that as with sites like, you know, Urban Outfitters or, you know, uh, any any other site or, that's doing 
and selling things that are, are similar to us, they're just kind of going through the motions of, you know, oh, we're going to have a pin that says, uh, I'm sad. When you could have a silver butt club medallion, yeah. why would you yeah. want right. that? And then we def- our site definitely does go with the trends and responds to the trends, but we also want to be making the trends. Yeah. And so yeah. we don't want to have too many people who are just right. going with the trend. We really try and bring in people that we think could kind of start new things. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if you think of it compared to the Etsy model, it could sound strange like, oh, such heavy curation. But it's really not if you think of most retail, let's say in general. You yeah. know, for me in the grocery world, you have a buyer who decides who makes it and who doesn't. It's not like, oh, people apply and they meet certain criteria and they're in. Absolutely. And not only that, my biggest complaint with Etsy and a big reason why I'm really happy we're doing it this way is Etsy sells people dreams. They sell people the idea that they can have a business based on their craft or their art. And they're like, you know, all you have to do is pay us listing fees. And if you really want to sell, then you just pay extra and we'll put ads on our site for you. And they keep upselling people that are basically making, you know, a knit scarf. And it's like, I think that's wrong. And I think that's something that we just don't want to do. We we don't want to tell somebody, hey, uh, yeah, you can you can just make whatever and we'll sell it and it'll work because uh, then it's just a numbers game. For us, it's always been something where it has to be something that we personally believe in or would buy. So you have five. You said you have over 500 artists on the site. Yeah. Do you envision like a cap? And second question. I'm assuming each artist has multiple things that they're selling. Do you know how many products you're selling at any given time? I should have looked up the number. Um, it's probably estimate. It's probably at least like twenty thousand to thirty thousand items. Wow. wow. I would maybe cap it at ten thousand artists, but I don't know. I don't. As long as I like the art, right? Why would I stop? I'm it's just, just about yeah, yeah. Yeah, there can't just be about that many it. artists that I would like. So there you go. So I, so I that's imagine it. there can't be more than ten thousand <laughs> out there. I think ultimately we would just get to segment the site more because right now it's a little bit more kind of uh, limited in the categories that we have for where we're selling. Not super limited, but we could really dive deep. We could be Mm -hmm. like beanies, hat, um, tiny hats, tiny hats, um, (laughs) oversized hats. Things that look like hats but aren't hats. Yes. <laughs> um, so Nipah's in hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that's something. And also, I mentioned this to Penelope, but, you know, I mean, once we're hitting that level, I feel like we would probably just start building the company to also have more of a physical presence because we are, in a sense, a digital gallery of art so it would make sense to then take the community that we've built online Mm -hmm. and start segmenting it and growing physical spaces growing and maintaining your authenticity it's really hard and so it sounds like a lot of the authenticity is coming from you two very specifically can you train someone else to have your eye yes we can um and that's something that penelope and i have from the beginning, been really strict about. Um, my past experience has always been working in startups where it gets to a point where they're trying to grow so quickly that they're letting anyone in that, you know, has a computer or something. We demand a level of excellence that is on par with what we feel for the site and what we do. Um, we've had people work for us and dropped them immediately. The minute there's something, which Penelope doesn't like that I do, but I don't see any point in allowing 
people that don't have the drive to push it to be on the cart. Most of the time, I agree with you. It's okay to disagree sometimes, by the way. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's actually why. It's a good thing. It's it's perfect for the dynamic of the business part because it's just something that I am fine with bringing the hammer a bit. I love yeah, the argument. No, I good, love arguing. Yeah, that's as long what as you gets get to a, my best ideas. Yeah, as, as long as you can, as long as you get to a higher ground. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so important because you have to be able to hash it out. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're not pushing yourself and your vision. Yeah, and Penelope and I are best friends so there's a lot at stake <laughs> yeah yeah i was just I, gonna say that I, I, what is the dynamic then as friends because you have to be able to not take it personally yeah too the argument is about the stuff then again i think it's actually helpful even for sometimes your your personal self like you can argue through the lens of the business you mm-hmm. know and it also kind of makes you evolve as a person i don't know if you guys find that <laughs> i think kate i give kate a lot of credit because i do have an artist ego and I do have a slightly larger ego than is probably beneficial but she's very patient with it and she really knows she really knows how to handle me <laughs> well did you walk the <laughs> did you walk dogs like did you say um because you yeah. have to be very patient to do that so yeah that's a good applicable background oh yeah Kate is, <laughs> Kate is a person who's extremely patient and accepting of people and understands what they can give and what they can't give and it usually accepts them for what they can give and then doesn't isn't personally offended or upset by when someone can't give her something. Yeah. Right? I think so. Well, ultimately, I know Penelope has limitations, and they're not coming from a place of her trying to hurt me, uh, destroy the business of Witchsey, or... This is making it sound so mysterious and dramatic, but it's really not. Um, No, I I I think this sounds... I mean, it sounds like you're you're an optimist, Kate, to to some degree, because you're trying to see... Oh, totally, yes. Right? And you need that. Kate is optimist, I'm the pessimist. That is such an important dynamic, because you need the one who's like, no, it's all possible, or it's going to work out, or I'll get what I need, and then you do need those, you know, feet on the ground also. Right, realist moments, right? Yeah, totally. I'm always the one who's like, I'm always like, Kate, this probably won't work, but that's okay, and I'm okay with that. But just so you know there's a chance this won't work right i mean ultimately our site probably wouldn't have existed if i wasn't an insane optimist but um yeah ultimately i think uh it's nice because penelope does sometimes pull me down to earth but then i also think that i push her to into the heavens open to trying at times yes. when she thinks it's silly. Yes. No, that's a really, I have to say, can relate to that dynamic from our early Cool House days. I was very much the Kate kind of optimist it will happen. And Freya, who is the co-founder, was very much the, but have you done all the things that will make you realize that it might not be possible? Because a business is a very real thing and it has to function. You guys obviously have a, a good, uh, a good uh, formula between the two of you. Um, I think it's so interesting, even the way the business is structured, giving so much back to the artists and having a really like strong mission with that. And even one of you had said, I think it was Penelope, we don't care about the consumer, right? Which I know I know what you're I saying. Kate said that, who but said we, that? we both, yeah, we both agree. Joke about both in unison. This is something that's not a debate. Penelope and I agree yeah. on this. Right. Yes. But you ultimately, if there's going to be 80% to go to the artists, it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from the consumer. Yeah. So ultimately, they are connected, obviously. Um but like there's there's so much around this, I think, you know, being artists and, and having the, the platform be about the artists, um, but having to have a business element. And I feel like there's a lot of kind of identity crisis around this for um, really strong creatives, but then saying like, but it's a business and maybe it's kind of 
feels sticky to embrace it too much because it feels like it clashes with the artist's identity. Um, do you guys feel like you have this kind of internal um, push and pull with that? Is there a little bit of discomfort around it or have you had instances where people kind of, you know, think you're selling out or think it's fraudulent or anything like that? Um, because at the end of the day, you know, like we're saying, it's a business. Does that conflict with what you're trying to do ultimately? Our business probably would be making more money if we did sell out a little bit more. But yeah, we we like to we like to almost make fun of brands that that coddle their consumer too much or pretend like the brand is their best friend and we also make fun of capitalism, we make fun of materialism. We constantly are like this lapel pin will change your life. It'll fix all your problems. Buy more. And we kind of like mock our customers a little bit because we're also kind of mocking ourselves and our participation in capitalism and consumerism. Absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, we have skirted a lot of criticism uh, in general just because we aren't trying to mass produce something and tell people, if you buy this, this is what will make you different. I think because at our core, we are a business that is trying to allow artists to make a living for themselves it allows us to err towards the identity of being like a gallery. So, I mean... No, it's so cool. I mean, my guess would be a lot of your consumers don't like consumers either. <laughs> and they're relating in a way to your message, you know, about like, and I think that's also what captures that Gen Z audience is that it's, again, it's that authenticity, like just owning that message is actually very good for your business. Right. And also, I think one thing that, we talked about early on is just the idea that um, with art, it is almost an extension of people's identities when they buy things like in terms of art, not I'm, I guess clothing and other things too. whatever is whatever you're purchasing in that realm is showing who you are a bit. And so with our business, it allows people to not feel fake when they're buying something because they're buying something they're directly it for their own personal enjoyment and nothing but exactly they're not going into a, a mall and you know walking into a claire's and buying you know earrings with feathers because that's what like the model's wearing they're just the, the site is completely barren it only has the images of what you can buy and that's pretty much it hmm. do you want to add another zero to the amount of revenue that you're bringing in i mean yeah, we like money. <laughs> I mean, of course we would. Like or love? Like. I would say like. Uh, we didn't make this website to make money. It wasn't our yeah. goal. We really just wanted to make a good site and a good platform, and that was our main goal. And I think that shows in both our profits and our our product. Uh, take it away, Kate. Um, <laughs> I think what would we would like to have happen is, yes, of course, everyone would enjoy if we made more money because it would allow us to do more projects. So I think that's something that we want to just slowly keep growing towards. You know, I got to quit dog walking uh, this past year, which was very exciting for me. So that was a big marker of success. How did the dogs take it? They're fine. <laughs> they, they don't even remember me. No, uh, no I miss them. But um, I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, we're not pushing this because we're thinking, oh, this is how we're going to buy mansions and Teslas. Yachts. Yeah. We're not thinking of it like that. We're just thinking, 
how do we keep building this out? Can this keep growing? Can this be a natural progression? And so, yeah, I think that's our biggest our biggest thing. I mean, who knows? I mean, I guess if somebody came over with a check for $30 million to buy our platform, I'm sure Penelope and I would have to sit and think about that. Yeah, we might sell it. <laughs> <laughs> but then we'd start something cooler. Yeah, yeah totally. there's no shame in it. There's no shame in yeah. that at all. So I think that's our biggest thing is just we want to take what we've built and then as we keep growing, move it towards a way of taking the online community and bringing it into a physical space. And if that can't happen, fine. Amazing. So something we really like to ask um, the entrepreneurs who come on this show is describe a skill that they feel they possess and break it down for our audience. So I think that Penelope and I have a great ability to quit and know when to quit. Also known more commonly in entrepreneurial terms as fail fast. Oh. Ooh, that sounds <laughs> that sounds good. Right. A little, a little snappy. A little snappy. Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back similar to what we were talking about having like entrepreneurs that are based on ego and everything. It's just um we don't want this to be a miserable process and we want it to be fun and enjoyable and, every- and we didn't want to compromise ourselves. Yeah, so anytime Penelope and I would have a situation where we would hit a wall and it wouldn't be enjoyable, we would we'd quit and it was something that allowed us to you know not focus on the small things that we were doing as we were getting started we didn't worry about trying to figure out a business plan or do the things that everyone kept telling us we needed to do we just decided we're gonna quit doing all of these things that everyone says that we have to do to start a business. We're going to focus on the parts that we found enjoyable and fun of building the site together and kind of ignore the parts, the things that we were supposed to be doing that we didn't find fun. So we just didn't do them. Exactly. And I mean, I just remember when we were getting started, there were so many people that had so much advice about how to start the business and what we needed to do. And anytime we would try doing anything that resembled what someone would recommend, we would probably quit within an hour or two of of starting it. Which is kind of, Kate and I sort of built this whole thing without really consulting anyone. I think Kate owned Business for Dummies, and I don't know if you read it. It's I, yeah, I, I mean, think I I've didn't. read that one, and Managing for Dummies also, which are really helpful. I didn't know anything. I, yes. accident, I basically accidentally started my business. <laughs> yeah. And many people, you know, yeah. you figure it out. It's street smarts and it's it's, you know, right. being able to to like learn quickly, really is so much of it. Absolutely. I mean, I did read the first chapter or two of Business for Dummies. Wow. Yeah, so I quit reading that book pretty quickly as well. So, see, great. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Great yeah. use of that skill. It's so awesome the way you ladies just like own it and I think even to have your skill be failing fast really says a lot because that is the truth of running business if you can't see even when they're they're not like the whole thing's failing, but there's those little obstacles that you have to be able to drop and move on and to pivot if you have to or whatever that may be. So, I'm glad that you shared that, you know, with our listeners and I want to say that maybe there have been, you know, you've you have had to fail fast in little moments, but obviously you've succeeded a ton. And I just think it's so cool what you're doing. And your mission is just really, really awesome. And I'm excited to see how it all evolves. We rock. You do. You do. And I really think I, I want to drive that home. What you guys have built, you are in the minority of the minority of the minority of people who want to start and own businesses. 
It's yeah, congratulations, amazing. seriously. Yeah. Thank you. Wow, thanks. I think what helps us keep us focused on the vision is that at the end of the day, we would choose our friendship over the business any day. And that makes it so that we never Kate made we a never face. Really I don't run know. into too many big problems. Just kidding. Well, you have. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. she first. Something, tell me if you can relate to this, what I say, because my co founder uh, is now my wife. So, you know. Wait, did you meet? We, it was all happened at once. We started the business. Oh, we started dating. Gosh. We, we, you know, the ice cream sandwiches are is our love child, um, and our relationship, you know, had to be bigger than the brand, and the brand is bigger than the relationship. Like it's not only about you know um, those two things working together harmoniously. Freya is no longer day to day in the business, but we are married, so I call her the first lady of Cool House because she's not on the payroll, but she definitely has my ear. So, um, but I, I don't know if you guys would say that's true, be, uh, or, or what, if you guys want to elaborate on that because I do think um, it's it's a special thing too, and there's so many things we could talk about. Yeah. We don't have time to get into this necessarily, but you know what it. It's like starting a business and being such good friends. But um, that that's at least would be my advice to you is thinking of them as, you know, they're, they're truly their own entities. They're, they don't have to be only dependent on one another. Yeah. You know. Which she is our baby. I mean, Kate's I've, yeah. getting, You're married getting married to a, someone else in a couple of weeks and I'm her maid of honor. Uh. And I sometimes joke that she's actually getting married to me. Well, that actually was a joke when we first got started because we were signing all the documents together and we thought, wow, it's like we're forever together it is my business my business partner and i definitely feel like we are in a very long-term sexless marriage because (laughs) it is the it is like the most successful relationship of our lives we've stayed steady we work through our issues we're we're building something towards the same goal and it feels but the relationship feels separate as much as it feels integrated into the company which it's very hard to explain that but it's like we are business partners, but we are also something else besides business partners. We're, we have a connection that I don't have with any of my other friends because we've built this thing together that's so much bigger yeah. than the friendship itself. I, yeah, I think there have been not that many times, but a, on a couple of occasions, the business has caused our friendship a little bit of stress. Surprisingly, not that much. But overall, I think the business has made our friendship way stronger. Absolutely. And also because we both are musicians, I think we pull from how to be in a band as a really good way of dealing with things you know bands can be hard if you let them be so managing egos one thing i i think that i've learned from having my business partnership is how to be better in my other relationships because you have to work through those stressful moments and if you don't then the thing that you're working on will die i think it was a lot less emotionally confrontational before i started this company and Mm. that business partnership taught me that telling someone how you feel and being vulnerable with the person that you're working with is really important. Even though I think as humans, we try to like bottle that up and cut that off. And it's scary. I feel like it's helped me be a better person in my other relationships, Mm -hmm. friendships, romantic relationships. That makes sense. Yeah. I would agree. Penelope Gazin and Kate Dwyer, thank you so much for joining us today on Start to Sail. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Start to Sail. We really want to hear what you're getting out of the conversations we're having with these wonderful entrepreneurs. And we want to know what you want more of. Are there entrepreneurs that you love that you want us to talk to? Is there a resource you need? Feel free to send us an email at hi at starttosale.co or direct message us on Instagram. 
I'm at Aaron Patinkin, and Natasha is at Natasha J. Case. We'd love to hear from you if you've been able to apply anything from Start to Sale episodes to your business. We'll be continuing the conversation on our website, starttosale.co, where you'll find resources and more. And of course, we'd love a review in whatever podcast app you use. Tell us what you think whenever you can spare the time. We'll talk to you soon. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Smartwater. Not satisfied being like other brands, Smartwater looked up to the clouds and said, I wonder if we can one-up Mother Nature for a purer, crisper water. And guess what? They did. Smartwater. Vapor distilled for purity, electrolytes for taste.